For our first message today, we have a split sermon from Mr. Art Williams entitled, Cats. Mr. Williams. <clears throat> Thank you, Reggie. Yes, you did come to church. You didn't come to an animal shelter. I have to get a drink of water. I am so dry this morning. Cats is an acronym, though. It's not that furry little creature with a tail and affection that goes around and does crazy things all day. It's an acronym for confidence, acceptance, truth, and service. And when I started this message, I intended to divide it up between all four of those topics. But after I got about 30 pages of notes, I thought maybe I ought to just narrow it down to the first uh, letter C, confidence. And confidence begins in the mind and in the heart and with the spirit. It's a mental decision. It's a love decision. And it's part of what Doyle Carter spoke about last week, transforming your mind. It's a process, process of growth. You don't have the same degree of confidence in him as a babe in Christ as you do perhaps 50 years later. It takes effort, takes focus, takes confidence and belief. In Romans 8, verse 5, he talks about our focus and where it needs to be to have confidence. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so our mental focus is key in developing the direction where we go. The second part of it is our attitude. In Psalms 143, verse 10, <clears throat> he says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. The attitude is wanting to follow God. Wanting to follow his way. The desire to follow his way. And then he throws in the, the action item here. Lead me. Lead me. Because part of building confidence is experience. Experience in the relationship that you have with him. Continuing with attitude and action in Psalm 31 verse 3. You are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, your namesake, lead me and guide me. Again, he's looking forward to something that God is his rock and his fortress and the action items of lead me and guide me. And continuing again with attitude and action in Psalm 61 too. 
From the ends of the earth, I will cry for you. Here's the desire, the heart's desire. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And again, continuing on in Psalm 25, 4 through 5, continuing with attitude and action. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God of my salvation. O you, I wait all the day. These are some of the elements that assist us in building confidence with him, in him, as he shows us his ways, as he teaches us his path. We learn to trust him. We learn to have an experience with him. And sometimes we learn that it doesn't work out the way we expect it to. And part of this learning of confidence we see in Psalms 139.24 and see, he says, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So as you develop the confidence in him and trust in him, we also are going to be coming aware of perhaps any wicked ways that we have and we will be able to divert them out of our lives. In Proverbs verse 2, 1 through 9, and I think maybe I'll read all nine verses here, it's really talking about apprehending many of the elements that go into Christianity. I'm going to focus again on, on confidence. He says in Proverbs verse 1, the second chapter, my son, if you receive my, my words, so there's an action item, you have to receive his words, and treasure my commands within you, and you value them. They're not just hearsay, throw away. Verse 2, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment, it's a priority. If you experience a death in your life, you know how traumatic that is. When he says, if you cry out for discernment, can we even apprehend the same type of desire that we have for that lost person that we have in experiencing death? Do we have the same kind of desire for discernment, for wisdom, for understanding? Lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, we work every day for a paycheck. And some of us work for more than a paycheck. We want a palatial palace, which someday we may very well have in the kingdom. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. And this is a, actually exceeds the topic that I have here on confidence. Because this goes into the entire scope of living our lives. And I'm only focusing on developing confidence in our walk with God. 
But this has a much greater application in every part of our life. How we relate with our people at work, how we grow into our jobs and our, the things that we like to do handle, and how we handle our lives. It says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is, a, verse 7, he is a shield to those who, up, who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Those are all action items for us. And in verse 9, he concludes with a thought. Then you will understand righteousness and judgment, equity and every good path. Continuing in 1 John 5, 13 through 15. He gives us a yardstick that we can use to measure where we stand with him. To know that he does abide with us. That we can confidently stand and walk every day and know that he is there. 1 John 5, 13 through 15. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Sometimes we don't always get an immediate answer to our prayer. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we may wait two, two years, three years even, to get the answer. Maybe in some instances we'll have to wait for the kingdom. But there are other prayers that we prayer, pray and ask for and they can be very instantaneous, and I'm sure most everybody in here has experienced those instantaneous prayers. And that's part of our confidence in knowing that he hears us and knowing that he's walking with us. And this confidence is the result of our experience with him. In Philippians 1 and 6, chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So the confidence that we have in our relationship with him gives us confidence that he will fulfill the words that he has spoken and the promises that he has given to us. Confidence, a product of action, a product of Belief, of heart, of love. In 1 John 3, 19 through 24. And by this we know that we are of the truth. And shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. We don't have a guilty conscience. It's hard to walk down the valley of the shadow of death when you have a guilty conscience. And you're second guessing. Who's got my back? Is he there? Continuing in verse 22, 
And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit who he has given us. It all points to our relationship, a close relationship, answered prayer, answered circumstances, strength in the circumstances, circumstances working out in a in the way that they need to work out, not necessarily the way we expect them to work out or even necessarily want them to work out at that period of time. But he has a different time frame on some events. I've got a little more to say on that a little later. Ephesians 3, 8 through 13 continues with, with the same thought. <clears throat> Let's go down to verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, from which from the beginning of the world has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he proposed in Jesus Christ our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. This is Paul writing, and we all know some of the dramatic things that Paul had to suffer and go through for the preaching of the word. An example, certainly, of boldness and to access the Lord with confidence by the faith. Continuing in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know him. I always love that when, when somebody says, we know that we know. Yeah, that, that's like a, a double positive It's a way of saying something very, very strongly and very convincingly. I know that I know. You can't tell me anything different. By this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever, but whoever keeps his word truly loves the Lord is perfected in, by him. In, by, in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides him in, in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So we get back to the instructions that we have already read back in the Psalms about walking as he walked. Keeping the commandments. Following his way. Asking him to search our heart and our mind to remove from us any of the wicked ways. So we can walk as he walked. In John 14, verse 23, 
Jesus answers and says unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And that's the confidence of the words that we have. That's the promise that we have. And we, through our actions and through living an interpersonal relationship with God the Father in Jesus Christ, we verify that statement that they have come and made their abode with us. In Second Peter, first chapter, I don't think I'm going to read all of it. I, I have down verses 2 through 10. I have a lot of scriptures today. I think we'll skip down to verse 4. Now let's go to 3. As his divine power has given unto us all things that pertains to life. He has divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. A vital part of confidence, seeing the workings of the divine nature within you. See the living God abiding in you. has to develop confidence. Continuing in verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So now he's going to be giving us some instructions on how to grow even more here. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Self-control, there's a big one, isn't it? Who doesn't have a problem with self-control? To self-control Perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will, neither, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. If you do stumble, it's a sign that you need to be doing something. There is something missing. There is something lacking. There is a kink in your armor. And if you stumble, you're not going to have the confidence that David had. You're not going to have the confidence to walk in the valley of the shadow of death. David expressed his confidence, and I got two different examples. One of them was right after he had been with Bathsheba. So he knew that he had stumbled. It starts out in verse 1, 
Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. We all were baptized, washed and cleansed. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Confession of the sins to God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Not intellectual knowledge that we spout and quote scriptures. No, no. In the heart, in the transformed mind, in the workings of the spirit that we allow to work because we're not focused on the carnality. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David was a little sad, I think, when he wrote this because in verse 8 he says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. and Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. That's what happens when we stumble. We lose the joy. We become anxious. We become stressed out. We begin to doubt. Verse 12, restore me to the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These you will not despise. Very good instructions as to what we do or should do when we stumble. So we can be restored. And so that we can restore our confidence in him and boldly walk down that valley of the shadow of death. Because in the 23rd Psalm, verses 1 through 6, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. The revitalization of confidence in him when we sin after we follow the instructions given in the Psalms that we just read there, particularly David's. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's confidence. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's confidence. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The enemies are around me in the valley of the shadow of death. I think I'll sit down and have a meal. What? Are you crazy? We've got to build bunkers. No. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Looking to the future. Forever. Not in the temple in Jerusalem. Forever. I want to go through some words of assurance as we look to the future. I want to go to Romans 8. If I'll read all of this, 16 through 23. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. With our spirit. Again, interaction. Our spirit with the Spirit of God. That we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together and Paul goes on to say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's a good perspective to have. Sometimes, you know, I got pretty upset just the other day because I got a new update version on my computer and all of a sudden all my favorites disappeared. And they didn't give me any idea how in the world to get them back. Every favorite I had. All, this, all the Bible stuff, all the financials, everything was just gone. As usual, you point and click enough places, run through enough hoops, cause yourself a whole bunch of grief, and eventually you point and click on the right thing. And then you have to go back and undo everything. I was not a happy camper. I was suffering. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the Son of Man, Son of God. I can't help notice this time of year how many animals are killed. I don't know if they run out on the, on the road or they sleep on the road or what, but there's the last week or so when it's gotten colder, so many animals have been killed out on the road. Animals that wouldn't be killed if we wouldn't have cars, but that's a different story. <laughs> For the creation was subjected to futility. Interesting. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown with in ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our bodies. The things that I see going on, we thought it was bad back in the 1960s and 1970s. We didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue what's going on now. And I was reading a scripture the other day, and it just, the way they presented it, along with a comment, they didn't come out and say it, but they almost implied that <clears throat> when, you're, when men are speculating about revival of a Roman Empire, that it will be literally like that, and people will be aghast as to how did modern man ever get back to that. Because when you read about the ancient Roman Empire, it was one leader killing another leader, assassinating another leader. It was all about power, greed, lust. More words of assurance. Ephesians 1. We'll start in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Part of faith, part of confidence, part of words of assurance that we are accepted in the beloved. And in him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Can we see, do we see how He made to abound toward us. Do we perceive that in our lives? Again, an element of confidence building. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to his promise of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And continuing in verse 14, who is guaranteed of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We are the purchased possession. The confidence that we have affirms that and verifies it. And we're looking forward to rewards. In Revelation, 
he lists rewards given to the seven churches. I'm not going to turn to the scriptures, but I've listed the rewards out here. One reward is you will not be hurt by the second death, and you'll eat of the tree of life. Another reward, you'll receive a new name, and you'll eat the hidden manna of God. Another reward, you will have power over the nation. Quite often we forget about that. We talk about, oh, you're going to rule over one city or ten cities. Here, power over nations, not cities, nations. Another reward is you will be a pillar in the temple of God. You're part of the nucleus that's going to rule the world. You're not just ruling over a city. You're in the White House now, you know? <laughs> you're in the you're in the in the palace. You're not out there in some city. Another reward is you will sit with him in his throne. Again, you're at the palace. And your name will be written in the book of life. 153 years ago, at the conclusion of the Civil War, some interesting statements were made by a historian, Bruce Canton. I wanted to play the video, but it's one of the things I didn't get around to getting done. <clears throat> but he makes some really pertinent words about the Civil War. And I've taken those words from Bruce. He died in 1978. And I've revised them to look forward to the kingdom of God. Because the words that he said, they were so demonstrative of what the Civil War was but they fit right in, a hand in a glove, into what the kingdom of God is going to be. The coming of Christ, man's part in, in, in going to the point where he will destroy the earth. This is how Bruce Canton's uh, words, I revised them to look forward to the return of Christ. But most of these words were his. It is the greatest and most moving chapter in world history. The blending of meanness and greatness. An ending and a beginning. It comes out of what men are, but will not end as man plans. Christians come the closest to understanding what will happen, but even they will have to confess that something beyond words will be at work in the world. The Almighty has his own purpose.